Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jera, and thanks for tuning in. Today with us, we have a few awesome familiar faces to our show, or voices, I guess, because we are in a podcast. So I'll let them introduce themselves, starting with Jamala. Hey, I'm Jamala Henderson. I use pronouns they, them, and... I've been a Star Trek fan since I can remember, but I'm I'm in my upper 40s, so of course, yeah, <laughs> it's been a long time. And Sarah. Hi, my name is Sarah Goldie. I'm from Portland, Oregon. I am the editor-in-chief of Star Trek Quarterly, an online fanzine you can find on Facebook, and I'm really excited to be here. Awesome. And we will uh, share the links to Star Trek Quarterly, as well as any other cool projects that you folks want to promote in our show notes and social. And Aliza. Hi, I am Aliza Pearl. I'm an actor, writer, Trekkie, improviser, and my upcoming project is a Klingon tabletop RPG playing the Star Trek Adventures system. Our campaign is called Blood of the Void, and we are going to be streaming on QTime, so that's twitch.tv slash Q-U-E-U-E times. You can find us at bloodvoidrpg on Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. Did you have to learn to speak any Klingon for this? I didn't have to, but I am learning, and it is very fun. <laughs> has, has anyone tried the Duolingo Klingon app? Yeah, I started with that, and I needed grammar. I needed to, like, learn the grammar first, so now I'm, I have Duolingo on hold, and I'm doing, like, a Klingon language course first, and then I'll go back to Duolingo once I know some Klingon. Amazing. Well, uh, before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you're able to support our show, you can hop over to patreon.com slash women at warp. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash women at warp. And for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to cool bonus content and like watch along tracks and you get to hang out and watch stuff with us. Thanks on social media. And you're also helping us keep going, paying our expenses and helping us get out to report at conventions and things like that. But also right now, we are taking part in Trekkies Together, which is a coalition of Star Trek websites, podcasts, platforms, fans who are encouraging listeners, supporters, readers to take action and make donations if they can in support of organizations that support Black Lives Matter, and basically a more just and equal society like Star Trek shows us. So if you're able to support an organization, Women at Warp, we uh, donated individually to the East of the River Mutual Aid Fund. We'd encourage you to do that if you're able. And also just to just uh, reflect on how you can be advancing these issues in your own world and life. And uh, we have a great article on our blog, which is an open letter to white Trekkies from a fan of color uh, that has a lot of uh, great suggestions for ways that you can act and reflect going forward. And so I'd encourage you to hop over to womenatwarp.com to check that out. So today, we are going to talk about Tasha Yar. And I wanted to start off with turning to her description in the TNG Writer's Guide, aka the TNG Bible. And it's it's a long description. So I just kind of pulled out some highlighted passages that I thought we could maybe touch on. So I don't know, Eliza, would do you want to read the the first or maybe one or two there? Sure. 
Despite the fact that she is only 28 years old, Tasha has been selected by Captain Picard as the starship's security chief, one of the few of the crew who performs the same function both aboard ship and off. All right, so I feel like we've got pretty standard opening, and the one thing I will say about it which shouldn't be that exciting, but it is when you read the other character descriptions in the TNG Bible, is that it doesn't immediately talk about her being sexy. (laughs) It's like she has a cool job. That's improvement, I guess. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Tasha comes from an unfortunate Earth colony where a combination of harsh environmental changes and fanatical leaders has made existence there a hellish nightmare. Yeah. Turkana 4. Yeah. Pretty scary, dystopian place she grew up on. Funny enough, I've been reading Parable of the Sower, and it's kind of Turkana 4-esque. Like, Mm. yeah, the future dystopian LA in that story by Octavia Butler is very, there's a lot of rape and a lot of scary stuff, dismemberment, and there's a lot of stuff in there. Interesting. Yeah, that totally is accurate. Also a great book that everyone should read. Yes. Tasha, she also comes close to worshipping the Starfleet officers who embody this quality of devotion to duty and quiet decency. Yeah, so how how do we feel about that? I, I thought it was interesting. It's not something I picked up on in the show. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, that's what stands out to me. Yeah. Which I'm kind of glad because it's a little bit cringy. Uh-huh. Well, it's interesting <laughs> because um, I feel like... You know, you know, just thinking about, about like the parable of the sower, it's kind of like her instinct is to try to escape and then like police what was wrong, which is a bit interesting. And she doesn't seem, I mean, I guess we don't really learn like what was the Federation's accountability to Turkana for. Mm, that's a great point. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. What happened there? Yeah. I mean, I can see how you could arrive at that, you know, seeing what other humans have and just wanting to like fully buy in and be a part of that. But it's hard to to imagine not being like sort of disillusioned that while your people were suffering, other humans were doing totally fine. Right. And then also, there's this guilt of you. I feel like usually there's this guilt of having left and I wonder, yeah, we I never saw that really on screen. And I wonder if that was considered in her character. I guess we'll see here if they if they had that layer to her. There's like the survivor's guilt, usually, if someone is going to leave a place like that. And also, she had her sister who was still there. So that's pretty, pretty major. Mm-hmm. And I could see coming from a horrible place like that, and then turning your life into creating stability. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of sense. I think we do, there's some comments and other memos and stuff that I recall seeing about Tasha really, really looking up to Captain Picard. And it it mentions this a bit in her character description, that she really sees him as a mentor. But it, it talks about in her description to the extent that she's basically thinking of the rest of the crew and these senior officers as saints. Which is really interesting. You can kind of see it in the way that she acts, that that Denise Crosby acts her relationship with these characters in the first season. Um, And she's very, very earnest. Mm, Yes. I was noticing that too as well, actually. You know, it's interesting coming back and rewatching the show, being a lot older. 
as opposed to when I was younger and watching it. As far as I was concerned, everybody on that crew was, you know, a quote unquote adult to me. You know, even in my early to mid 20s, I'm like, oh, of course, all these folks are older. But she, in particular, looking at her now, it's like I can see that earnestness. I can see that sort of honesty and wanting to like portray whoever she is. But uh, what I found interesting was, and I think we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but her when they talk about, okay, so there's a specific episode and it's called Symbiosis. And she's having this like short, very short conversation with Wesley about how people fall into drug addiction. And I got to say, whoever wrote that little passage, you know, her, I don't want to call it soliloquy, but you know, her, what she talks about, it's coming the voice that I hear in the actual words that she's saying, it sounds like somebody who's been through addiction in that way. And it makes me wonder, was that supposed to be part of her character's past or did she merely see it enough around her that she learned from all of that and then, you know, got up and made sure that wasn't her future. Like she really escaped having a future in that, in that sense. But she definitely understood what was happening with, you know, drug addiction and where it leads people to. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Jamala, did you want to read the next oh, yeah. <laughs> cringy quote? <laughs> I, I, I would say this is more than cringy. So <laughs> Tasha's unspecified Ukrainian descent gives her an unusual quality of conditioned body beauty that would have flabbergasted males of a few centuries earlier. Her, uh, with fire in her eyes and a muscularly well-developed and very female body, she is capable of pinning most crewmen to the mat or being just an exciting, sensual, and intellectual challenge to males who enjoy, win or lose, full equality between the genders. <laughs> Neither number one nor Captain Picard is blind to these qualities in Tasha, but she finds it difficult to treat these quote-unquote saints as mere mortals. So there's our, our quotation of saints again. And it sounds to me like what they had in mind was to have her sort of really hold all of the officers, her commanding officers above her in very, very high regard. You know, Mm -hmm. what I like about that quote is the part that is like, to males who enjoy full equality oh. between the genders, oh. like, it's a pastime. Right. <laughs> it's just like a fun hobby. It's a diversion for, you know, <laughs> men who enjoy equality for others. <laughs> Cringe. I mean, that does seem to accurately describe Riker, but... <laughs> <laughs> that first sentence, though, is really what got to me. You know, unspecified Ukrainian descent gives her an unusual quality of conditioned body beauty that would have flabbergasted males of a few centuries earlier. Like, like <laughs> that didn't, her, her type of physique didn't exist <laughs> before or what? I mean, I don't understand. Yeah. What does that mean? Is that just a really creepy way to say she's athletic? I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they did the most with this sentence. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that is how I read it. I read it like, yeah, she's strong. Mm -hmm. She's Lara Croft before Lara Croft. (laughs) The, uh, like, the trope, the fighting uh, F toy. But 
I mean, I guess like the best spin I could put on that would be it's noting that she's unconventionally attractive. (laughs) But it does kind of explain why they felt the need to repeatedly in many of the episodes have characters say that she's attractive. (laughs) Ah, that's interesting. Hmm. (laughs) I did notice in one conversation, there was just this offhand conversation between her and Worf. I was going to bring up the same scene. I think I know exactly what you're Ah, talking about. Yeah. You know, the scene that I'm talking (laughs) about where she's discussing, you know, different crew members, Uh, you know, she's in a competition and of course she's, you know, she's the security chief. So she's top of her game with all types of skills, but she starts discussing different qualities about the competitors that she's going to be up against. And she and Worf are just talking and Worf is just like, ah, you're going to win. Ah, you're going to take that guy. And then at some point, you know, he's like, well, you are favored in the ship's pool. (laughs) I mean, it's kind of cute. He's like, I bet on you. And she's like, oh, you bet on me. And then she just smiles at him until he gets really uncomfortable. (laughs) She just smiles and he walks off. It was kind of, it was funny. It's so cute. I love it. (laughs) It is cute. It was really cute. I enjoyed that. But, you know, unfortunately, of course, that is her last episode. Mm -hmm. But it was it was a nice moment that showed that <laughs> the the one person who most likely is probably the most physically conditioned on the enterprise wharf i don't know i i could see him taking out quite a few few folks but there may be species on the enterprise that i'm not familiar with that could have knocked wharf on his ass but he he very much you know recognizes her strength and uh respects it and that was a nice thing to see in that conversation between the two of them. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's go through some of these memorable moments. Although, actually, I do want to quickly point out before we get to that. <laughs> the Bible does also point out that her basically substitute childhood best friend is Wesley Crusher. <laughs> because she was de- deprived of her own childhood. And it says, quote, she treats this boy like the most wonderful person imaginable. <laughs> Wes is the childhood friend that Tasha never had, which is what? sad, <laughs> but kind of adorable. <laughs> Maybe off screen. I don't know. about. I don't remember. Well, that particular conversation, actually, that I'm talking about, you can see that kind of rapport between her and Wesley. But it's more like, you know, an older crew member doting on a younger person who doesn't understand the ways of the universe. So, <laughs> yeah, it's not like Seven and Naomi Wildman. Exactly. Exactly. That said, I could have seen that dynamic happening had Tasha continued. Well, that plus now I'm going to go back and see if I can actually see that dynamic. Right. Because it sounds to me like they had a lot of set up, you know, interactions between specific crew members that they would have liked to explore in, in ways like that. But I honestly, I just, I don't remember too many. Well, I don't know. I actually didn't get a chance to look at the naked now again. So Y'all will have to remind me about what happened there. Mm. Of course, we all know that's one of the craziest Star Trek episodes ever, mm-hmm. you know, where we find out about a fully functional data, but which I'm sure is a whole nother conversation within itself. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Well, we'll definitely have to get to that. And it's the second episode that she really features in. But let's start with Encounter at Farpoint and our first impressions of Tasha, which mostly I remember her like trying to pull a phaser on Q and then 
getting frozen for objecting to the court. Yeah, I don't remember. I, I didn't rewatch this very recently, so I don't remember much more of Yar specifically in this episode, to be honest. Does she do much more than that? I don't think so, but I think, like, in terms of establishing a first impression, I would say that it, it establishes strength, vigilance, but she's also very emotional, like, by when she is objecting in the court to, you know, kind of cue treating this sort of dystopian future kangaroo court as a joke and how it reminds her of her planet and the messed up things that happened there. So we see she has a, she has, she takes a strong stand. Early on. Yeah. She's passionate and she speaks up. Nice. Also, I may be wrong about what episode it actually happens in, but it's like pretty early on that we get the mention of rape gangs on her planet. Yes. I Yeah, I think I think she does mention it maybe in the drug soliloquy, <laughs> as Jamala called it. I think I remember her mentioning it there. <laughs> and she hallucinates running from the rape gangs and where no one has gone before. And I think that's really like the only kind of memorable moment she has in that episode. It's... I don't know. I would say like all almost it almost kind of works better today than it did at the time because at the time sexual assault was not talked about really on TV and like mm. the way that it was put in there I think was almost just kind of salacious and not like really nuanced look at how, you know, this is part of a society that is in a state of dysfunction. Mm-hmm. But it's it's complicated, but I think that it, it kind of just, it's like she's a, basically a survivor of trauma, but you never really get that more than just the mention of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great point, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this is true. You know, a lot of the sort of context around specific characters come in dialogue when we found out about their backgrounds, except for, you know, sometimes later on when we actually explore different aspects of their background i.e. Tasha's sister, who comes back later. Yeah, that, I don't know. I I just remember there being a lot of emphasis on the fact that they had a a woman as a security chief who was Mm -hmm. in charge of this. And I think that where, (laughs) I think that where this comes out the most is in the episode that I have redubbed the worst Wakandans. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the very first you know star trek episodes and she's prominent in it you know it's what is the actual name of that episode it's though? code of I, honor thank you now we, you know what i like to call it it was oh god it was so hard to re-watch this episode but it was very it was actually very interesting and one of the i don't i don't know if i want to say it's the worst depiction of a culture involving you know, black folks <clears throat> ever that I've seen, but I think it's probably one of Star Trek's worst. For what it's worth, the cast agrees with you. Yeah. They talk about how awful it is. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Oh, really? I'd love to read that. Oh, wow. I'd love to read that because I was looking, it was funny to me as I was watching that episode and thinking a lot of this is a way to kind of pull out what we see of Tasha Yar as her function of uh, security chief on this particular um, ship. But at the same time, everything about the, and their, uh, the name of their actual culture is uh, Ligon- Ligon? Ligonians. Ligonians. They're the Ligonians from, I guess, Ligon 2. And it involves a vaccine. 
interestingly enough, which is the same thing that happens on symbiosis. But there are so many things in this episode that are just so hard to like watch. You know, you've got, first of all, the costumes with all of the African-American cast. They reminded me of, (laughs) I guess, what I would see like Aladdin riding around in, like in like a Disney movie or something with the turbans and the, you know, the very kind of spicy costumes that they had on. The women's costumes were pretty cool, but a lot of how they depicted this particular quote unquote culture were, you know, very interesting. (laughs) I didn't really much agree with it until the end, of course. But I still see problems with the way that they had that set up. (laughs) Well, I mean, the biggest thing is that, like, tying, you know, tying back into what we read from the show Bible, how, you know, how to write Mm -hmm. Tasha Yar and talking about her, like, how do they weirdly state her ethnicity? Ukrainian descent. Yeah, but like, what was it? Unspecified. Unspecified unspecified Ukrainian. Whatever that means. But yeah, so, no idea. and then just her very female body and muscular, well-developed. So like, first of all, super objectifying her, right? And then this episode also objectifies her, literally making her mm-hmm. an object to be captured and a trophy of heroism for this leader on this planet. Absolutely. And then you layer on the already very complex and tricky and not always great relationship between just like generally you know black men and how they are viewed as if they are dating white women and white women who date black men and just like all that stickiness you know just drop that in there too <laughs> like exactly and the anger it's just chalk oh yes oh my god you're right the anger of what is it the first wife Yes, Yurina. Her name was Yurina. She was the first one and the owner of all the lands. You know, there was some scheming going on from the very beginning. And of course, people on the Enterprise figured it out based on, you know, the rules of the culture. But (laughs) I don't know. It's just like shady, shady, shady shit happening from the very beginning. You know, what's funny, too, is like this episode so easily with just some like core tweaks could have been cool (laughs) it could have been good Mm -hmm. because Mm. and the 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 only like shred of goodness i can see in this episode is seeing black characters not have to be the hero not have to be perfect and and untouchable and wise and magical like it actually is refreshing to to get to see black characters that are not sanitized you know what i mean although they are in in a, mm. in a different way in this episode they're definitely it's definitely refreshing but at the same time i feel like they're still held to specific you know cultural constructs yep <laughs> from that time period that we would have considered to be not okay yes right it was mm-hmm. like you're holding up this completely created black society up against you know these I'm sorry to say white standards of what would have con- what would co- consider to be civilized right, right? because yeah. the very last sentence in that particular episode is you know you may have more technology but we still know how to be civilized or something to that degree and I was like what <laughs> <laughs> who wrote this who wrote this and they're like 
literally withholding a vaccine from like dying kids or something. Um, so they're very much portrayed as like these evil, exoticized right. baddies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then again, much later in that same episode, in that other episode, symbiosis, right? But you had two white cultures right. sparring over it. Oh, man. Um, with equal powers. Just one was overtaking the other. It's kind of funny when you start doing, you know, analysis of these episodes together because mm-hmm. you start to see a lot of themes and it makes you wonder gee where are you getting this from <laughs> mm-hmm. i think the scene that bothers me the most in code of honor is when deanna and tasha are talking and tasha oh, is talking about the yeah. leader and he she basically says i don't like him but i'm attracted to him i hate that scene it's, oh, it's so it. gross, gross. Wow. it's so gross and deanna's basically like oh admit it you totally want to bone him i'm a great <laughs> counselor <laughs> okay yeah she didn't <laughs> She didn't do it that way, but she she literally tricked, <laughs> yeah, literally tricked Tasha into saying, well, just into being free with her feelings, you know. But and I was like, damn, Deanna, that was cold <laughs> like, for <laughs> no know? reason. Like it's not like it's helpful to her to it is. have to. <laughs> well, yeah, know. bringing out the underlying feelings and emotions of what are actually causing your actions, I could see that would be the reason why Deanna would do something like that. If only to help Yar sort of consciously understand what she was, you know, getting getting on about. But at the same time, yeah, that was kind of cold. <laughs> this is also the episode where like four people say she's very attractive or like a very striking woman. Or like I think Picard says it at one point, like I acknowledge she's very attractive or something. And it's like, we, we have eyes. Thanks. Uh, and there's a there's a quote on the memory alpha, which is the leader, Lutan introducing his wife to Picard. So it goes, this is my first one, Yarina. And Picard goes, Lutan is a fortunate man. So (laughs) there's a lot of just commenting on women's attractiveness in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I I do like Yarina's um, ruched pink shiny cat suit. (laughs) (laughs) That's the only highlight of this episode to me. (laughs) Okay. I will say that there is one particular um, moment that I actually enjoyed about this episode so and if we're talking uh, we're talking about the scene in Code of Honor where Yurina and Tasha are having basically well I guess Tasha is basically using her whatever Starfleet training to kind of negotiate with this you know with Yurina about not fighting for this not taking you know this brutal action of a fight to the death well (laughs) By the end of that conversation, Yar's like, well, you know, look, uh, the way we do things and she's and Yurina's not having it. And the last thing she says is, you are on our world, (laughs) which I just love that because it says a lot about cultures dealing with other cultures and, you know, the actions that you should or should not take. Of course, there's a lot of discussion about the prime directive in that particular episode and how to go about doing that. But of course, all of the actions taken by the Lagonians are, you know, viewed through the eyes of Starfleet officers, and they deem most of the, you know, cultural shenanigans as being very beneath them. And it comes through very clearly in that episode, as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. But that one moment depicted what I thought to be a very interesting, I don't know, power dynamic between these two women, specifically, you know, a black woman and a white woman from two different societies. I found that really fascinating. Yeah, like the Prime Directive, it prevents you interfering, but apparently doesn't prevent you being hella judgy. Right. Right? Oh, goodness, yeah. (laughs) 
but uh, worth noting that the director of this episode was fired for being racist to the cast Ooh. mid-episode, so um, may also not have helped the final product in in terms of it being portrayed with a an additionally racist lens. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it hurts to watch. It really does. Yeah. You know, despite some of the tiny highlights that we have given, but yeah, not my favorite. Hence my my title, The Worst Wakandans. <laughs> the Worst Wakandans! <laughs> I love it. Does anyone have any other thoughts about symbiosis? Since those those two are, are kind of similar. Just that, yeah, you know, like you said, uh, when you compare these episodes to each other, in hindsight, it's funny how much the, like, the, the racial and social dynamics of the times, or at least what we were talking about publicly back then, jumps out in these episodes. So, you know, the one symbiosis is about, is about basically one culture, one planet's culture, making another planet's culture dependent on them through the use of narcotics and started as a vaccine, but then they, they cured the plague that the vaccine was made for, or not a vaccine, but a, a treatment or a cure for it. But then it was narcotics, so they got them hooked and they just kept making it stronger and stronger. So these people became dependent on it. And obviously that echoes a lot of real world stuff, especially in the 90s with all the like anti-drug campaigns, you know, say no to drugs, keep kids off drugs. This is your brain on drugs, all that stuff we were like saturated with in the 90s. So you see that. And it's so interesting how like the whiteness of the aliens kind of um, is used to remove any of the overt racial and social commentary. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. very true. You know, something else came up in my mind while you were talking about that as well, which was I see parallels to today's kind of opioid epidemic. You know, with the the rich folks, uh, you know, there was a man and a woman and they were really like uppity and full of themselves. Yes. And I just, you know, they'd be like big pharma, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. with everybody else being like, I need that opioid to be able to live. And then you have people, you know, totally getting hooked on this thing and they can't they feel like they can't live without it only because they don't know that they can't. And in the meantime, it's ruined their society and done a lot of interesting things. So that's one thing I see about that particular episode. But in terms of judginess, there's definitely, you know, a nine or 10 factor of judginess from the Enterprise crew being that once again, the prime directive comes into play, you know, with just how much they can help or not help. And what's funny is that, I mean, they wanted to help in the beginning. And so they gave, they were going to give the society that was lacking the medicine, apparently, you know, new coils for their ships to be able to get more shipments. But (laughs) after they realize what's going on, they're like, nah, we're not going to give you these coils, Mm -hmm. you know, because they were going to be, the other side decided to give that Felicium shipment for free to the culture that was suffering. When they know that is the only way that they can keep so their culture on their leash. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting to me. Yeah. That's one of those episodes where, like, I watch it and I, towards the end, I'm like, I wonder, like, what's Picard going to do? Like, how do you get out of this predicament? And so him pulling that move of denying them the coils at the end, you're actually like, oh, yeah, okay. Okay, Picard, I see you. I see you. Because he's, he's basically just trying to, like, in his own, you know, adhering to the prime directive way, he's trying to like, cut the chain of dependence. And the only way he can do that is by not 
helping this chain to continue. So exactly by not giving them the coils, they no longer have the freighters to pick up the medicine. And if you don't have the freighters to pick up the medicine, then how to get that the medicine? Like, so it was actually, yeah, I thought that was a pretty boss move for Picard. <laughs> ultimately, there are quite a few boss moves like that. And it, the, you know, the writing around that gets better as we go on, because, you know, we're really, we're dancing around in season one here. And there's so <laughs> many seasons. So many episodes that are just like, uh, I'm going to forget about that one. You know, <laughs> uh, just toss that one away. Yes. Uh, let me just fast forward to season three here and see what I got. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of those moments um, that I wanted to mention was when Tasha gets put in the penalty box in Hide and Q. And I remember really, really not liking I Hiding Q was one of those episodes I had on VHS tape when I was a kid. And so I watched it a lot because I had access to it. But I remember really not liking that because I like Tasha kind of is like getting teary and about how unfair it is. And Picard is kind of comforting her. And in retrospect, like I think that was maybe a bit of internalized sexism on my part. And it's probably not necessarily that bad. But I think it actually um, really does speak to how they were describing her in the character Bible as she's someone who really, really wants to impress Picard. And she also really, really wants to believe in fairness and wants to be able to protect everyone. And so she's like feeling like she's really failed in that moment. Hmm. That's pretty much the only Tasha moment in that episode, like many of these episodes, which is partly why she left. But we'll get to that in (laughs) in due course. (laughs) Yeah. But we should talk about The Naked now. Woo! I'm gonna let somebody else start that one off. (laughs) I did watch this yesterday. First of all, second episode, coming out the gate with the crazy, with the wildness, (laughs) a direct reference to TOS, which is actually kind of fun. You know, I appreciate that. Might as well just get it out of the way early into the show. But yeah, The Naked now, so the whole crew gets... Basically infected with something that makes them have no inhibitions, as if they're intoxicated. Yeah. And so there's a lot of sexy times. There's a lot of making out in the corridors. A lot of giggling. A lot of giggling. (laughs) A lot of Tasha, in particular, breaks into, (laughs) which is so so hilarious. She breaks into Deanna Troy's quarters and pulls out all of her, like, flowy, flowery, you know, clothing and it's like, Deanna, I want to change my look and be more feminine. So I guess that's what her inhibition is, is that if she's too feminine, she will not be taken seriously or she won't be considered strong or whatever it is. And that's just really telling, you know, that that's the first thing that she does when her inhibitions are down. That's really interesting. And my my thought that came up as you were talking about that was, you know, that could have been something that was acculturated within her coming from a planet that was, you know, full of quote unquote rape gangs, mm. you know, in order to avoid that, the last thing she'd want to do is to look like a a meal to those mm-hmm. roving bands of horny dudes. I don't know. <laughs> so. Wow. I feel like you have just uncovered so many more levels to this episode that I never appreciated before. Yeah. <laughs> hey. That's totally. Yeah. I think you're right on point with that, Jamala. Yeah. I mean, it's something that could have come from just, you know. I'm looking at this picture of her holding that poor cat, (laughs) (laughs) you know, with with men and holding uh, flashlights behind her. And she's obvious. This is, you know, obviously her flashback to when she was on Turkana 4. And like, 
she's obviously very scared and she's trying to hide from these rape gangs. And I can't imagine what kind of, you know, ways that she had a sort of, I guess, put on as a coat in order to protect herself from that kind of violence and that kind of, you know, unstructured, obviously un uh, lawful society. Yeah, no, I mean, and, uh, you know, we all know that 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 is things that are behavior that real people do mm-hmm. to try to avoid sexual harassment and assault. And that is super interesting, you know, because I, I always thought that it was kind of more like trying to make her safe for an audience. Like, oh, don't worry. She secretly wants to be feminine. Mm. But I think like the, it can, those two things can exist simultaneously. Absolutely. And that's a super interesting way to look at it. It's just something that made me think about who she would be as somebody with that kind of traumatic past, trying to cover up that traumatic past in a way that could never hurt her again. And putting on that Starfleet uniform could be part of that. It's a shame they were writing characters on such a superficial level in the first season, because then you get later on and you see like Picard processing his trauma from being Locutus on the vineyard and you realize, yeah. oh, they've, they actually figured out how to do this later on. What could mm-hmm. we have had of Tasha if they had been doing this right out of the gate like some of the newer shows are doing yeah yeah it would have been a whole different level of storytelling but my view of how i see season one at this point is kind of like you know a 60s hangover and then like trying to understand what (laughs) star trek could be in this moment at the moment that they were making it in the you know the late 80s early 90s yeah yeah well and so then she sleeps with data (laughs) oh god (laughs) That was an awesome segue. We bury the lead on this whole episode. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know how to <laughs> introduce that. So then that happened. <laughs> Goodness. Which tricky consent issues here mm. because she's ostensibly drunk with disease, like polywater drunk, and she's just like Data, I want to bone you. And I mean, it's supposed to be like it's removing inhibitions and it's what you really want, but like it's also like into alcohol and it's not necessarily making good decisions. It, we also have the direct comparison to make with Jordy because Jordy sees that she is not herself and mm. he's like, nope, <laughs> not going to go there. And Riker also kind of refuses to let Troy go there right. for the same yep. reason. Interesting. So there's like multiple other people who are like, no, I can't when you're like this. Obviously, I don't think that there's... I I think that they just think... I don't know how they thought. Did they think it was sexy? Did they think it was funny? Did they think it was both? Why was it not an issue when it was data? Hmm. Hmm. I think there's maybe some safety, uh, or at least perceived safety, because he's an android, and they're like, oh, he's like... I don't want to say childlike, because then this whole conversation becomes (laughs) much creepier. (laughs) (laughs) But... Innocent? Innocent, yeah. He he has an innocence to him that makes it like, okay, yes, the the human dudes would, you know, these are stand-up dudes and they know better than to make that choice. But he has this innocence to him as someone who's learning about humanity and, and learning to be around humans. And he's like, you know, I haven't gotten to try out this function of mine. So uh, why not? Okay. I do feel like I have to shout out a part of another podcast on this episode that made me like laugh so hard that snot was running down my face which is the podcast treks in the city which if you haven't listened it's very funny 
Mm. And when they did the Naked Now, they had a Paul F. Tompkins on, and he talks about how Data says, like, I am programmed in multiple techniques. <laughs> and they they point out how Data is usually very specific about numbers, uh... but he doesn't ever say how many. And they were like, like, two. <laughs> and then there's an extensive discussion about what they might be. <laughs> so I would say, go take a listen to that episode. Uh, actually, I will go listen to that. That's really yeah. funny. <laughs> I mean, I do kind of like the scene at the end where she's like, we're never talking about this again. Although, again, like, if you're if you're taking it from the perspective that this was iffy on the consent front, then, like, it's not really that funny. But obviously it was not intended to be iffy, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's got some issues. Hmm. I also feel like um, she maybe, maybe she felt more, I don't know comfortable with data because she knew she could trust him is mm-hmm. that i mean i i think that was part of it but yeah with the with the tricky consent issues it just it just the whole thing just gets weird it's definitely like a 1987 level of comprehension of consent mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> because yeah overall my 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 impression was that this was supposed to be funny do you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying like mm-hmm. oh this is what we think is cute giggle giggle right and that dress that she evidently stole from troy (laughs) like we never see troy wear that but holy crap that dress (laughs) oh man oh dear yeah it's like there's a lot of under boob right it's like yeah middle and under boob just hanging out it's all torso it's it's like right from your sternum to your like pubic bone (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know i don't have any issues with like you know costumes i i only have issues with actions and because it seems to me that it wasn't very much it wasn't clear you know like i think what sarah said rings true with me it was definitely a 1987 you know sort of confused way of looking at consent issues i'm definitely flashing back to the end of 16 candles right now (laughs) oh dear wait what was that that was a horrible... Ho- You're talking about the, the car thing? Yeah, the really popular girl who wakes up with the nerdy guy and is basically like, yeah. oh, you date raped me, okay. <gasps> what? Oh my God. And that was supposed to be funny. And that was okay. Yeah, that's, that's definitely not okay. <laughs> wow. Holy crap, I forgot all that. I mean, they certainly... Tr- I think they tried to make it more palatable. They tried to make it romantic. Gross. Ew. <laughs> So thank you, 80s, for like, you know, all that stuff we have to unlearn now. <laughs> you must unlearn what you have learned. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Wrong franchise. All right. Well, let's look at the the death of Tasha Yar, the, the first death of Tasha Yar. So sad. Just watched it like five minutes ago. No, not five minutes ago, but just before we started talking. It happened quick. I couldn't believe it. I feel like some, you know, it must have it must have been very quick that she decided she wasn't coming back. But then the decision to kill her the way that they did didn't give her much of a goodbye, obviously, which I guess at the time belies how they treated her as a character as a part of that ensemble. But it really didn't feel like a death that would befit a member of, you know, a regular member of the crew who is the bridge crew, I guess is, is how I should say it. Had she been on the the show longer, and of course she does come back in season three, but had she been on the show longer, she might have, maybe they would have handled that differently. But I honestly did not like the way that she went out at all. Yeah. 
even though they explain it away, they explain it away by saying, well, she died doing what she loved, you know, in the line of duty, et cetera, et cetera. It, it just felt really random. Yeah, for sure. There's like the long, not long, but like her memorial service that they have her at the end of the episode. Oh, gosh. That's just her talking about herself. She has to, or actually, no, she doesn't even talk about herself. She talks about other people. Right. right, right. It's like a reverse of a funeral where other people talk about the person that died. It's the person that's dead talking about other people that are still alive. I think part of what made it so abrupt is that she didn't even get any character development in her final episode. They let Deanna have all these very emotional scenes, but nothing for Tasha. True. And she's just kind of gone. Yeah. Very, very true. Yeah. Well, Denise Crosby has definitely talked a lot about why she left and said Mm -hmm. that it was amicable with Gene Roddenberry that she basically said, hey, I'm not getting enough to do here and yeah. gene roddenberry apparently said you know this is supposed to be like the original series where there's there's a you know three main characters here so it's data uh, Riker, and picard and that's just how it's gonna be and i can't actually promise you more but if you want out you can have out and at that point seemed like that was a good decision and they um and then i remember definitely reading that the decision to kill her off kind of abruptly was an attempt to show that, quote, space is a dangerous place. <laughs> like, this could happen to anyone at any time. You could find yourself on a bed in sickbay with a purple splotch on your face, just stone dead. Isn't that what red shirts wow. are for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't I also, I mean, I, I've seen Marina Sirtis talk about how they were going to fire her because three women yeah. on an ensemble cast is way too many. And then because Denise wanted to leave, that saved her job. Oh, wow. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, she talked about it at Vegas a few years ago. And she also talked about it on Mission Log, I believe, and said that they, yeah, they had decided that the ensemble was too big. And even though, you know, as much as I'm glad they didn't get rid of Worf, given where Worf went, Mm. I think if you look at season one, the like duplication between Worf and Yar didn't really make a lot of sense. Mm. But they were like, no, there's too many women. So... And Marina um, wasn't seen to have like the same backing in the fan base. And um, Majel was apparently like giving her advice to try to go out and go to conventions and like Mm. make sure that she build enough of a loyal following so she wouldn't get fired. And she said that if Denise hadn't left, then she 100% would be gone. Wow. That's yeah, I find that really interesting. And the fact that they thought three women in that ensemble was too much. Yeah, I find that a little bit reprehensible. Mm-hmm. Well, and the first convention that I met you at, Jamala, was with Denise Crosby. And she's super lovely. And you actually sort of like emceed her panel. And yeah. I remember her talking about how yeah. she thought that Tasha really should have been had a chance to take the Borg Queen. And <sighs> that would have been bad. So awesome. I, you know, that was that was probably one of the best memories of my life. I they asked me to be a moderator for her at Geek Girl Con, and I I believe that was God twenty fourteen. What I remember, um, she was amazing. She was funny. She was great, gracious. She was so nice to me, and she was incredibly funny. Do you remember the story that she told Jara about? <laughs> Jonathan Franks, a pink bathrobe and an earthquake on a Paramount set. Do you remember that? I like don't remember the details, but she went out with that story (laughs) and it was the funniest thing ever. And everyone was laughing at the very end. And that's how she ended the session. It was it was totally awesome. 
Well, I do remember her talking about yesterday's Enterprise, which yes. we should definitely touch on before we, we end today. But Absolutely. So, and she talked about how she wanted to come back pretty much right away, um, at least for some guest appearances. Mm-hmm. And yesterday's Enterprise was sort of designed in some ways to like give her this more meaningful death than than skin of evil and what i remember her talking about after that and uh, we can talk a bit more about yesterday's enterprise but she said that when she pitched coming back as sila well she pitched like coming back as tasha's daughter and berman apparently was like well how could that have possibly happened and um and she's like well there was castillo right there and um <laughs> and he's like yeah but it doesn't make any sense like when would you have had time to do that and she's like well i don't know how long it takes you <laughs> <laughs> oh boy um and i think that this um you know we've we've talked about seal a fair amount on the show before but i think it would have been uh, more we would have liked it probably more all around if uh Sila yeah. had not been like the child of a rape by a Romulan <laughs> and then Tasha getting murdered. Cause yeah. it, it just kind of like, it's so awful after, yeah. you know, she had this story of being a survivor of trauma and making something of herself, dying tragically young, coming back, sacrificing herself for meaning and then having another meaningless death. <laughs> so we'll just, you know, it, it, it would have been so much cooler if it was like her kid with Castillo. Yeah, yeah. I, I I agree with that. And I also agree that, you know, because when Sila did show up, it was just so it was kind of meaningless in a way because nobody understood how she could look like, <laughs> you know, because what happened happened in a different time, you know, a timeline, I guess, to the point that, you know, Picard didn't get what was going on. Guinan had a sense of what was going on. But it just, it had no meaning except for us as an audience to be like, hey, you know. But I remember the the episode where Picard sees her and, you know, he's freaked out. But he's he's like, you know, he has another conversation with Guinan and, and Guinan's like, something wrong happened. And I think that the fact that she showed up here on Romulus is your fault. <laughs> I was like... Go guided, you know, but, and he's just like, well, but I don't understand how this happened. So let's just, you know, focus on the situation at hand or whatever. And it just, um, it kind of amounted to not a bunch, but it, I guess it was fun for the audience is how I see it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any, uh, other thoughts on yesterday's enterprise or Sela stuff? Well, on Enterprise, or yesterday's Enterprise, first of all, I need one of those belts from that episode, because those are amazing. (laughs) Second, there's a line that Tasha has um, when she's talking to Castillo, and she wants to, like, move to the Enterprise C, and he's like, no. And she's like, show me someone on the ship who can do this job better than me. And I just love a woman Mm -hmm. getting to say that, because we never get to say that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It even makes me think of, like, in original series where Uhura is, like, wiring some things, and She's really doubting herself and Spock has to come over and be like, trust me, you're good at this. Ooh. They really was the next generation where women can say, yes, I am good at this. (laughs) Well, I will just, I'll just say that, you know, yesterday's Enterprise is one of my top favorite episodes. So Mm -hmm. it's indefinitely up in my top five, but it's not the first, but yeah, it's an amazing episode. I still love it. Yeah, Yeah, I love it too. It's got so much great stuff. And it's, I would say the best Tasha episode by far. Word. 
Agreed. So the last Tasha appearance we get is in All Good Things in the finale. And I do really love that moment where Picard sees her and is kind of, you know, moved by it. And it's a very touching moment. And I like that her character was kind of given that attention in the finale. But yeah, and um, we also we do see her, her sister Ashara in Legacy. But that's that's really the the life and times of of Tasha Yar in official canon Star Trek content. Does anyone have any final thoughts? Maybe do you want do you want to round robin some final thoughts on Tasha or any of the episodes we've discussed? I've got two. First of all, the way they treated Tasha in All Good Things was great. I wish Jadzia Dax had gotten that treatment in the final episode of Deep mm. Space Nine. Mm. Mm-hmm. And also, this mm. is a total tangent. But there was a panel last weekend, and it was Denise Crosby and Jonathan Frakes and John Delancey. And they were talking Ooh. about how they had auditioned for the show. And Denise was like, I actually was auditioning for Troy until they found Marina Sirtis. And so that sent my that. brain off on this whole tangent of Tasha Yar and Deanna Troy's situation. So Tasha Yar having to deal with Waxana Troy as a mother. <laughs> like, I just don't see wow. her going off and eating chocolate sundae. I see her breaking stuff every time Waxana comes to visit. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, they actually auditioned for each other's parts, and the the part of Yar before it was given to Denise Crosby was appar- uh, originally called uh, Lieutenant Ma- Masha or Macha Hernandez. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Huh. But they were gonna cast Marina in that role. Yeah. Original. I have the wiki up in front of me right here. It says originally Marina Sirtis auditioned for this role, while Denise Crosby read for Deanna Troy. Uh, Roddenberry decided that each would be better as the other's character, and Macha's description was altered to reflect Crosby's blonde look. Oh, yeah, because Tasha Yar was modeled after Vasquez from Aliens. Unspecified Ukrainian. (laughs) (laughs) I think it just means she's really white. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever that means, I don't know. Any final thoughts from you, Elisa? Just that it's very fun to think about Tasha Yar and talk about Tasha Yar and appreciate her because Denise Crosby and the character both have this very special place in in the franchise where, you know, they had a short run, but then they came back a few times and just kind of like solidified who they were in, in the franchise, which I, yeah, I appreciate that as the character doing that and also as Denise Crosby just sticking around and being like, yeah, you know, I left, but I'm still here. Like, I, I don't know. I personally just pro- on a professional level admire that because there are so mm-hmm. many professional relationships that can end and not be, you know, not end on a great note. And then you never work with that person mm-hmm. again. But I, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of cool that she was able to come back and, and still continue that relationship and then contribute that character and other characters to the franchise. So big ups, big ups for Tasha Yar. <laughs> I stand. <laughs> And Jamala? Yeah, I enjoy talking about Tasha Yar. I really enjoyed being able to moderate that panel years ago. And, you know, just looking at her now has given me a really fun look at who that particular character, you know, what kind of impact that character had because she was there for part of one season, most of one season, and then came back for guest appearances. But she lived on in the memories of many, many Star Trek fans. And, you know, I think that having a woman security officer at the very beginning of 
that show was a bold move in that in that particular era, <laughs> the era of my youth. I also just don't, I want to give a shout out to her as uh, an actor who was really interested in what was going on with fans, because if y'all remember, you know, she had produced a couple of documentaries about Star Trek fans called Trekkies, and then mm-hmm. there was a second follow-up. Oh, yeah. And I remember really enjoying those because she was so curious as to why so many people were so into Star Trek and not just liked Star Trek, but like were obsessed with Star Trek you know, kind of like we are. <laughs> and I always found that really fun. And I, I guess I appreciate this, this uh, opportunity to talk about, you know, what that character's legacy is and, and how we can still enjoy that whole universe today. Um, so yeah, this was fun. And thanks for allowing me to be a part of this conversation. Oh, thanks so much for joining us. We'll uh, close out here. So uh, Jamala, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? You can find me on the Twitters at Jamminhen, J-A-M-N-H-E-N. And Aliza? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Aliza Pearl, A-L-I-Z-A Pearl. And on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Apizaliza, A-P-I-Z-L-I-Z-A. And Sarah? Best way to find me will be through Star Trek Quarterly. You can just search for that on Facebook. And I'm Jara, and you can find me at Jara Penguin on Twitter. That's J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And to learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Women at Warp. You can also email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.